0: Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College offers the foundation for individuals seeking to blend creativity and practice so that graduates have the freedom to direct their skills and move the world forward. Its faculty takes a multidisciplinary approach to academic, professional, and social growth so that graduates have relentless optimism to navigate the changing environment. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. I know many in our audience love politics, but don't you really get tired of all the partisan wrangling, name-calling, and finger-pointing? Well, one retired politician is trying to erase the nastiness and establish civility in our public debate. We're talking with Ted Celeste. He's a former state representative from Ohio, but he's now director of state programs for the National Institute for Civil Discourse. He leads the Next Generation Project and travels the country doing legislative training called Building Trust Through Civil Discourse.
1: It was created in 2011 after the tragic shooting of Gabby Giffords in Tucson, Arizona. Right. Uh, It was uh, a response of both the community and the University of Arizona to try to make something Positive out of uh, you know this tragic situation, and so um, this was put together to try to um, work with elected officials and the public and the media to try to uh, research practice and, and policy to support and engage folks in civil discourse.
0: Now you are the head of a particular segment of that called next generation. Uh, Correct. How how does that fit in with the overall arching uh, sort of mandate of the National Institute?
1: Well, it was an interesting timing, Tom, that this started. I, I had just left the – or was just leaving the Ohio legislature as a state representative and very frustrated with the process and the partisan nature of what was going on and I had put together a proposal for – uh, a nonprofit to um, take a workshop to legisl- my colleagues around the country, le- state legislators around the country. And a, uh, a funder here in Columbus, Ohio said, Well, it's a difficult time to uh, be raising money. Find someone that's doing something similar and see if you can partner with them. I came across uh, that summer, this would be 2012 now. Uh, the National Institute, and uh, and we found that there was a common purpose. They were working with elected officials in D.C. Um, I s- pr- propose that we start at state level because 50% of the people who end up in Congress uh, come from state houses, and so hence the name Next Generation, Next Generation of folks going to uh, leadership positions. And um, so this uh, half-day workshop we created called Building Trust Through Civil Discourse started in uh, the summer of 2012, and we've been doing it ever since.
0: Let's go back for our audience and get your perspective on the genesis of this uh, discord that we have in the political system, the, the partisanship uh, but it's beyond partisanship. It's the uh, nastiness <laughs> that we have right. in, in politics. Right. Now, uh, politics have always been uh, uh, a game not for the weak at heart. But but this is really bad now. And when did that start? You've been around politics all your life.
1: Well, Tommy, yeah, it's uh, you know it's, it's it has been bad, relatively bad for a long time but it's really gotten much worse uh, in the last 10, 15 years, and then particularly in the last 18 months. I mean, I think one of the things that's happened is not only has there been this partisan split, but you also have a split within caucuses, within the Democratic caucus, within the Republican caucus. So it's far right against moderates, and it's far left against moderates. And um, it's it's created quite a problem. You add to that um, the fact that uh, there is now so much influence on the power of money, on money that is hidden, and its impact on what's what's happened to uh, to elections. And then add one more piece to that, and that's the uh, the way that we've been redistricting, so that most of uh, the elections are. Are won or lost in primaries, uh, and and so you have, you know, the the f- the farthest radical parts of each party um, taking taking on those uh, uh, positions, and it makes it much harder for people to find a common ground.
0: I know uh, you yourself uh, ran three campaigns for yourself, but you've been involved in other people's campaigns all your professional life you have a reputation of running very positive campaigns uh, why did you make that choice and obviously
1: it was successful for you well uh, thank you Tom I, I appreciate that and and it and it's hard in, in this kind of environment where the emphasis is on the negative and tearing people down and indeed it was very difficult uh, the first state rep campaign i ran when i said to my leadership i want to do this i want to i do want to run uh, against an incumbent I, I'm, I'm a democrat ran against a republican uh, incumbent and the district was 55 45 republican and i basically said i'll do it if i can run a positive campaign they basically said well if you want our money, you're not going to get the uh, you're not going to get it if that's how you're doing it. And I said, "Okay, I'll do it on my own." The problem is most political professionals are telling you that the, you know, that the negative advertising, negative promotion works, and that's why. But what's happening, and I've gotten a lot of encouragement from the last 5 years I've been doing these workshops, is there are more and more people who are saying, "We're sick of that message." We need to have a positive message and let's try to support each other in that effort.
0: So in tailoring your your positive message, what considerations did you look to? Did you say, "Okay, I'm going to target this group with this message and this group with this message? Or did you have an overarching positive message?
1: Well, it was, it, it's really two things: an overall po- uh, positive message, uh, uh, to, to the to the to the point that not not really responding in kind when the negativity comes your way, uh, but to just uh, forge ahead with your image of where you'd like to see things, and then there's another big component is really listening, listening to the constituents, listening to the public and engaging them in a conversation and a dialogue so that it's not just one way. And the more you engage people in that kind of process and they feel that you're really listening, uh, the more support you get.
0: Your group and your next generation program, uh, as you have indicated, is it looks at state office holders in in the 50 states and, and territories, but... Uh, we've always had the the saying that all politics is local. As, as you've been out and, and going around places, uh, are you a, more of a believer of that or less?
1: Well, I I, I think that's true, and I think that that's uh, that's one of the reasons why there's. So much uh, frustration right now is that because it's local and people aren't listening, that's why you have the convulsion in the process that happened at the presidential level last November, uh, a year ago, where uh, folks who felt that they weren't being listened to responded. And and I think that that's a, that's a, a message for all people who are trying to be representative, uh, one of the interesting dynamics from that process is that I think that there are an enormous number of women candidates now who came about to the decision to run for office when they feel their, their word hasn't been listened to. And so uh, at all levels, in city councils and at school boards and townships, uh, they're running and they're running and winning.
0: We did a a podcast not too long ago uh, looking at African-American women state office holders, and we were amazed that there were only two in the the entire nation. Uh, Do you think that, that minorities and other people are falling away from politics with all this nastiness, or do you think that people see this as a new age where they could go in and, and civilly discuss their issues?
1: No, I, I think it's a, there's there's some promise out there. I, I think part of the problem here recently, and and a lot of people um, like to call it voter suppression, if you will, changing uh, voter registration laws. I, I, I think that's a, a small part of it. I think we've made a lot of progress. But um, there, there are specific um, problems with the um, election process, which unfortunately have most of the impact comes to those who are least able to get to the polls. In many cases, it's minorities. In many cases, it's elderly, and and so there's a depression in the in the voting public among those communities. So um, I, I I think that that's changing again because of this response to what happened there are a lot more people who are considering um, local offices and state offices who hadn't in the past
0: the nastiness that we see on a daily basis in Washington not only from the White House but from both houses of of Congress and within both parties uh, is is that creating an environment where people at the state level listen to you more? Or are they following that national trend and say, hey, this seems to be working. Look at uh, look at President Trump. Look at uh, uh, all the people in the Republican Democratic Party. We're going to follow that nastiness.
1: I, I think that the, one of the things that we found with our program is that that's, that's changing quite a bit. Um, because uh, it, the migration you're talking about down yeah. to the state level, because um, I think what's what's happened is that the dysfunction um, ha- that that's reached the states. You know, there are a number of states that, that didn't get their budgets passed on time. There are a number of states that had difficulties between houses within caucuses, between the caucus and the uh, executive branch, and I think that the that's that. Um, level of uh, dysfunction has caused much more interest in there must be a better way. We've had a great response to our program in the last 12 months, and particularly from leadership. Leadership who's who's watched this happen, and and they they would. Really prefer to be able to have a much more uh, uh, productive session where folks are are more cooperative, and I, so that's really encouraging for us.
0: We'll be back after this message. Spectrums brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College is one of the most comprehensive colleges of communication in the country. It offers a foundation of creativity and practice so that graduates can move the world forward. In particular, the Scripps College offers challenging coursework that holds students to high expectations, an integrated curriculum that combines a variety of disciplines and ideas, and student-driven media organizations where students can apply these skills and gain experience that enables them to hit the ground running upon graduation. That's the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Walk us through uh, one of your seminars, if you would. Uh, how do you start getting people's attention? First of all, who attends? Are they state office holders, state legislators? Uh, and And after you've described that, how do you get their attention? What do you do to to make sure that they're
1: engaged? Um, a couple things. and the And the program, the specific program that we have, the half day workshop, Called Building Trust Through Civil Discourse um, is offered to um, all state legislators. We prefer to have the invitation go out from the leadership in each of the states. And most recently, that's been the case. We were just in the state of Delaware, Delaware a week ago, Friday or Thursday, and had a uh, wonderful uh, representation from their legislature, which is small by national standards. Um, but we had a great participation.
0: Caused an earthquake so, while you were there too. Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. It was it was interesting. Forty five minutes after we finished, uh, <laughs> they had that earthquake. I like to say we like to shake things up, but not that much. That's right. So typically, what happens is we uh, we like to start with um, with a meal. So we either do it in the morning and have breakfast first, or afternoon having lunch first and the reason is to kind of set the tone breaking bread together because interestingly enough in many legislators legislatures around the country uh, republicans and democrats don't get together to eat eat together i mean this is an unusual occurrence so we start with that we also start with everyone introducing themselves just in case they don't know each other um, telling for instance something that they love about their state to begin to find something in common or to tell tell something that uh, about themselves that other people don't know just as a way to get a little closer um, the next step is an important one um, it, that we have is a video that tries to give sets the tone for what we're talking about what does this mean to be able to have this kind of dialogue. And there's a video that we use um, called Unlikely Friendships by two people, Donna and Bob. As a matter of fact, if any of uh, the listeners would would like to see it, they can just Google Donna and Bob. It's on YouTube. It's a fabulous uh, four-minute little presentation. Um, And and very quickly, Donna uh, represents the uh, Iowa – LGBT community and Bob represents the uh, Christian Council, the statewide uh, Christian Council. Okay, and they are obviously at odds on a particular issue of LGBT rights, and they decide to get together at Donna's request and have this uh, regular coffee, and it sets the tone. She she says something very important in that interchange. Um, when you f- have the courage to tell people who you really are, things happen. And that's pretty profound. So that I'll tell you a little more about that in a minute. And he says, um, you know, after we had this conversation, we're not going to change each other's minds about the issue. But for me, when I prepare a a mailing or a press release, um, before I send it out, I think about what would Donna think about this? So it's just, you know, kind of taking the time to really think about the opposition, if you will, as human beings. So that sets the tone. So, um, and it's pretty powerful. And so then to begin, we have uh, a process called setting ground rules. That each of of these uh, workshops set their own ground rules. Generally, they're very common. But the ground rules are to say... What would give you the most comfort in being able to share with others uh, things that are really important to you? Very personal stuff. And so we go through the ground rule preparation. Next is something that's very, very important and very impactful called the personal journey. And in the personal journey, we ask the legislators to write down the event or person in their lives that most – impacted who they are personally today. Where did their sense of values come from? They write it down on a small sticky note. They put it on the wall. We've put up the decades on the wall and allow them to put those uh, uh, events on the decades that they happen. Everybody uh, then does a little gallery walk reading what everybody else read, and then they share their stories. Very profound, very impactful. People share stories that they've never told anyone. They talk about amazing, amazing things. And it has a wonderful evening out uh, part of the process so that when they now get to the meat of, all right, so what What do we do now? Uh, they're really in a sharing and, and willing to to look for common ground mode. The next three steps really are what is the present state of civility in your legislature? What uh, would you like to see it be? How, you know, what, what are the opportunities and challenges to get there? And then a specific action agenda of things that could be done to get you to that desired state. Um, and, and they end up with some really, you know, powerful things that they could be doing together. That's the program. We've done it 23 times in 16 states now. You know, it, it,
0: as you've gone through this, Ted, it, it reminds me that when I talk or interview military people or people who have been the ground soldiers in, in combat, they talk about almost dehumanizing the enemy, making them objects, and it makes it easier. It seems like a lot of what you're doing here is to humanize the opposition. So it's more difficult to uh, make attacks. Uh, and it, uh, is that true? Is that part of this?
1: Actually, yes, very much so, Tom. That's that's really what, what the goal is, is to find out that they're um, you know, interestingly enough, that very first exercise where you talk about what is it you love about your state, uh, you find that that everybody's pretty much on the same page. And you know, here is here is somebody that you ha- hardly ever spoke with before, saying some of the s- same words that come out of your mouth, and it's it's really powerful. And so, even even if you are not going to agree on an issue, you find that you are able to talk about things, and perhaps find some things that you do agree on, and maybe have a, a, a productive experience as a result. Indeed, we um, the very first session we had, Republican and Democrat uh, women legislators uh, were sitting next to each other, discovered they had a common interest in adoption, and adoption records. Wow. And they, they never had talked about it before. Uh, the two of them ended up co-sponsoring uh, legislation to open up adoption records in Ohio. They did, and hundreds of thousands of folks uh, benefited as a result. Twenty-three times in
0: 16 states. How do you measure success? Do you have yeah, that's a very matrix, or how do you measure that's a, your that's,
1: success? That's a great question because it is it is difficult. It's it's often very subjective um, you do have um the action plans that they write when they each um each of the states meet so you could kind of try to measure how have they uh how have they accomplished what they were uh, trying to do based on the action plans but we we also look at is there any more uh legislation that is <clears throat> Uh, bipartisan as a result of this Uh, do they have they changed any of their procedures either on the House floor or in committee meetings that would lead to a more um, conducive civil dialogue Uh, things like that Um, and and frankly one of the other measures of success for us is now we have over a hundred legislators around the country who've joined us in this effort. From that, we've, we've probably um, presented this now to over 700 uh, legislators in both the in-state sessions and some other sessions. And out of that group, we have over 100 of them who are uh, part of our national network of legislators committed to civil governance and who stay in touch regularly, communicate regularly, try to find, Um, best practices and things like that. So the fact that we have an active, growing group is in itself a really powerful uh, measure of success.
0: One of the things that uh, I know political scientists debate, uh, political observers debate is the impact of term limits. Uh, before a lot of states had term limits, obviously you had people staying around forever <laughs> sometimes, uh, but uh, building long-term relationships, uh, long-term commitment to their particular house of, of the legislature uh, and to the leadership, not so much with term limits. Uh, you don't see the same kind of – uh, commitment to long-term relationships. What impact do you think term limits have on the civility aspect?
1: Yeah, I think that I think you brought up a good point, Tom. That and that's yeah, when we when we talk about what are the issues uh, in our workshops around the country. Term limits often comes up as one of the problems. Uh, not all states have term limits, so uh, you have a chance to try to. See what difference there may be. Um, you have uh, some states where, without term limits, you have folks that have been in for thirty or forty years. I mean, it's uh, and certainly they've had a an opportunity to to establish friendships, um, and that's that, That's really part of it. Is if you if you are solely thinking about. How do I get to my next next election, or how do I move to some other office, as opposed to really um, spending time doing your job well in the office you're in? Um, it's uh, it it doesn't lead to that kind of uh, development of relationships that's that we're talking about. You
0: mentioned earlier in our conversation the the impact of. Money and fundraising. Let's expand that a little bit and talk about special interests, uh, both on the lobbying side as well as on the financial side. How does that integrate with being uh, uncivil or being uh, nasty to to your opponent?
1: Well, I think one of the things that happens is uh, with with the the influence that uh, money has on the process. Your Interest and and level of statement of support for issues that come from those donors or special interests that uh, uh, that have a particular a particular focus. In um, in a lot of cases, uh, these are on the cultural issues, and um, they they can really impact how you put forth your. Um, your expression of support, and the one of the points I was making earlier is that because it's not just a partisan issue, it's a issue within caucuses. Often, the person in the on the left needs to be the furthest to the left in response to those issues right. being supported by those don- donors, and vice versa on the right. It needs to be uh, the furthest right. So I think that the um, uh, the, You know, the, the, the money has a, a powerful impact on on how people frame their support for issues.
0: If we put this in economic terms, there has certainly been a trickle down uh, of the nastiness and the partisanship mm-hmm. from the federal uh, positions in Congress back down to the states and, and the state legislatures. It seems that your approach, though, is to uh, go more grassroots, go to the state legislatures, and if that works, it will trickle up, if there is such a term, uh, and and change the the Congress eventually. Is is that fair? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's that's really the goal, and I think also the interesting dynamic uh, for us now is that as just as we've stressed the the. Um, state houses as being the training grounds for Congress, you have city councils and local elected officials, county commissioners, etc., who are really uh, in many cases a training ground for state houses, and we've had requests uh, from them about would you be willing to do workshops at the more local level as well, which gets to the point of uh, getting people involved in this kind of discussion early. And I should mention that one of the things that the um, Institute is doing beyond uh, our program, Next Generation, in the last year, we've uh, had this program called Revive Civility. Our democracy uh, depends on it. And it's really taking this message out into the community around the country. It's a national initiative. Uh, We have four states, Ohio, Maine, uh, Iowa, and Arizona, where we're doing a deeper dive kind of going at it full time, if you will, and encouraging local poli- local politically elected uh, folks uh, in in mayor's offices, for instance, to sign our civility pledge, make us civility months. Um, we have a whole range of tools that people can use to have the kinds of discussions in their community. So we're trying to take it even one more step closer to the people.
0: Well, if you look at the town meetings that we've had over the last year or, or two, uh, certainly they have not been models of civility. So,
1: right, that's a good point. That one of the, one of the things that we try to encourage is that, the, as opposed to the model of a town hall where you have a talking head elected official, is to have something more in a dialogue uh, process where. Everyone is involved in the process. They're engaged in in having a discussion and and trying to – it's really teaching folks how to have this kind of discussion where you can really listen to the other side. You can really listen to understand, give people tools to really have a meaningful discussion, perhaps finding some common ground.
0: Ted, thank you for – explaining next generation to us. Best of luck in your endeavors. You've, you've got a big fight ahead.
1: Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm, uh, as you can tell, I'm very
0: passionate about this. Today, we've been talking to Ted Celeste, who travels the country teaching legislators how to build trust through civil discourse instead of constantly spewing nastiness. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. You can subscribe to Spectrum at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or at your NPR One app. You also can find Spectrum at the NPR Podcast Directory under WOUB Public Media. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it. You can do that at Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions or comments about our podcasts or suggestions for topics, please direct them to me by email at That's Hudson, hodson at ohio.edu. That's Hodson, H O D S O N, at ohio.edu.